welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to different people, both inside the hospitality industry and also the people supplying the hospitality industry and how COVID-19 has affected the actual industry itself. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. These conversations have been fantastic for me to record the last week. Uh, And I think you're going to get a lot out of it, no matter what part you have to play in the industry itself. Uh, Always remember as well, in the link of this bio, you can actually send me a message, a recorded message in question that I can use in the podcast further on. So always make sure you have a look at that if you've got any questions about the podcast. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode. Uh, So fantastic to have you listen again. Uh, that clear cough in the background was our next guest, who is Simon Taylor, who's the founder of an amazing uh, amazing group called the Swipe Right Experience and also the Hospitality Portal, which we'll talk about in depth in this podcast because it's such a revolutionary thing. Simon, how are you? Good morning. Sorry, I cleared my throat just as you were starting. <laughs> if, if, every, every time you start a sentence, I'm now going <clears> to... <throat> Sorry, excuse me. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> it adds it adds fun to the podcast, my friend. So it's good um, morning. It's well, good. good morning here from the UK, and I think it's good evening yes. on your side, isn't it? So um, yeah, pleasure to, pleasure to catch up. Um, so thank you very much for for catching up. I know you're you're very very busy at the moment. Um, do you want to talk about? Obviously, you are in the UK, and we've talked for for many months now about uh, your fantastic career in the hospitality industry. Um, do you want to talk about how you started out in the hospitality industry, Simon? Yes, always. Um, I get to sort of um, extol the virtues of not being a very traditional route around hospitality. Although, um, although I'm actually finding it more and more that people have actually taken a very similar route by coincidence. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't have a traditional hospitality route because I didn't study anything in hospitality. In fact, I was pretty poor at studying full stop. I was really good about being in bars. I was really good about lighting barbecues um, rather than doing A-levels and being at college. Um, but, and, and I got through the university on a sort of a sports um, uh, assistance by you know, a local rugby club sort of said, he's really good. Can you please get me to university? Because my grades weren't good enough. Um, mm. And as I left the rugby club, um, funny enough, I left the university. Um, and I fell into it because I was working in a bar. That's where I st- first started. Um, I no wanted way. to were I was 17 years old pulling pints illegally in the UK because <laughs> I was a month before my 18th birthday uh, and I thought well right. by the time I put all my forms in I'll be 18 anyway um, and nobody really blinked so I carried on um, <laughs> yes, fair enough. I, I spilt a few mm. beers and poured a few bad pints and all that sort of stuff but mm. I really enjoyed um, being in that bar environment and I was quite lucky that I had a half decent uh, boss who gave me the hours that I kind of wanted as well. Um, mm. It was a bit of a student bar, so that suited. It was good energy to it. And I got to learn a few mm. things. And that's, you get that hospitality bug. Um, mm. I describe it as a bit of a DNA. And I think when sometimes when you find that, that industry or that DNA that fits you in your life, then, then you're kind of away. Um, but after that, I then can worked, you, Yeah, go on. Can you remember, I was going to say before you go on, can you remember the first time working in that bar that you really enjoyed it and knew that you were going to, somehow have a career in this industry uh yeah day one easy very very easy really oh yeah moment, right. moment in day one when you put the shirt on i think so i'm uh it, my wife is actually a performer uh she was a dancer mm-hmm. i met her on cruise ships many many years ago um, she's a dancer choreographer uh and and she describes the buzz of being on stage and 
every event I've ever done, every time I've ever gone out in hospitality, I think what I try to sort of extol to the people I'm working with is you're about to go on stage. You're, you know, mm. it is tits and teeth and jazz hands, people. Let's make that happen. <laughs> it's true. If you've got an event and, yeah. and you're on a table of 10 in an event and some miserable waiter comes up and throws some food down at you and your gravy's halfway across the white linen, then you're pretty peaked, mm. you know? But if you've got somebody who's actually happy to see you, playing the game, replicating the energy in the room by working there, then you've got those management people that are coming in with the right type of energy, the right sort of wording to make people feel welcome. It is a show. It is very, very much mm. a show. And it is entertainment mm. and it is hospitality. Um, and, and people come for different reasons. But if you can, if you can give that, that's cool. Uh, and of course, it's a very, um, and hospitality is a very tra um, transactional. I can pour you a yes. point. You can say thank you. I'm making you happy. Yes. And for me, when to, to be able to make that person happy just by pouring them a pint and put it across the bar, it was a fairly immediate. Um, uh, it was an immediate love. Mm. Oh, cool. Okay. Sorry to stop you. No, no, I just wanted to understand that. It's really. It's always a really cool thing for people to reflect on when they actually first started loving the hospitality industry. So yeah, it's a cool thing. Well, I was actually mm. asked the other day on um, a different podcast, you know, what would you say to somebody if they're looking to get into hospitality? And I, mm. and I said, don't. And he went, what? <laughs> I said, no, don't. I said, what? I said, well, because if you're thinking about it, you're probably not the right type of person. If you're, yeah, if you're mm. considering it, then okay, consider it, but don't consider it for too long. Get in and try it. And if you're spending mm. any longer than, you know, X by considering it, then don't do it because it's not in you. Mm. You'll do it for a while because it makes ends meet. And there are people in hospitality that keep the whole place going that are the make, end, make ends meet people. But there's a damn mm. sight a lot of people in hospitality there because they love it. You don't make a lot of money out of restaurants and bars and stuff. You make money out of um, different businesses. Hospitality is not always one of them. And it's a hard slog. Mm. So you do it for the love of it, not mm. always for the, um, uh, not always for the, for the, for the dosh. Yes, totally um, agree. But I ran away for Dosh, so I ran away off to um, cruise ships, actually. That's where I went to next. And then um, I worked on cruise ships, what was going to be about three months teaching sports to young teenagers. Ended up being about three <laughs> years um, and, and running a sort of a family entertainment side of a, uh, of a cruise ship, which was wonderful. Um, how, did, how did that come about, the, that that opportunity came up? Uh, all my family had been at sea somewhere along the line. So going oh, away on a okay. ship was dead easy. I'd cruised as a kid. Yeah. I kind of knew where it was. My sister had done it before me even. And it was just one of those things of what do I do now? Oh, I could go and teach mm. that sport because I've got that, you know, sport qualification. Um, you know, the sort of one you do on a weekend, you get a certificate and you think, where's that going to take me? And funny enough, it was just, you know, it was a, it, it was a little step into traveling the world, which is pretty cool. Um, mm. So I was lucky there. Because it got me a step out. And then after a year or two, all of a sudden, instead of a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, I got a, a white uniform. And then things changed a bit more and the money was half decent. And I stayed a bit longer. Um, mm. And it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Coming away was very hard uh, because you're looked after very well on a cruise ship. Um, <laughs> things, things have changed now. You can't drink and party like we used to drink and party. Um, yeah. But I used to love that, that side of hospitality, which was work hard, play hard. Um, yeah. And uh, coming back was very, very hard. Um, but then I actually sort of went into food and drink that much more with a, a Rackets of Fitness group in the UK who had a couple of sites. I picked up their restaurant and bar rather than being assistant general manager. I was kind of, you know, head of F&B there. Um, mm -hmm. And I did that for about a year. I was dreadful. I didn't know my ass and my elbow, really. Um, <laughs> I learned more 
I think I learned more from them than I ever really gave them. I don't really feel, right. you know, I think I probably did quite a lot around their memberships or something like that, but probably not a lot around their F&B, uh, mm. looking back anyway. Um, but then I was uh, from there. I left there and then um, ran off to the Middle East. I ran off to Abu Dhabi um, on a bit of a fluke, really. Uh, and was ending up uh, heading up an F&B team of 200 and odd people over in Abu Dhabi um, as head of F&B for a, a private members club over there. Uh, and spent three years there. It was three brilliant years. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it was one of the sort of formulations, really, of my uh, F&B career, turning around restaurants, creating new restaurants. I was so lucky yeah. that I had uh, a GM who was an ex-F&B guy who put his arm around me and said, listen, you're really good with the punters. You're really good at these thinking you know, areas. You're really good at that. But that bit's off. So I can cover that bit. You can cover this bit. And, you know, um, mm. and it was really, really good. So I was lucky that I've always had a a good boss. There was a really good ops manager there as well. And um, he kept it, you know, challenging and good. Um, and so I loved it. I loved it. all of a sudden I was really entrenched in F&B then. And working mm -hmm. six days a week and doing all the hours that God gives um, was very rewarding. I really, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, was we given we given free reign to do do whatever you wanted in that kind of that kind of environment because there would have been I imagine probably a surplus of cash uh, in Abu Dhabi. There definitely was not a surplus of cash. Um, really, because okay. it was actually a private members club. The members owned the club, oh. so the land was actually oh, gifted to them by um, uh, Sheikh Zayed uh, in the sixties. Mm -hmm. It had been there for however long. There was a committee that ran it, so it was really really mm -hmm. tight, really stringent. But they actually weren't earning a, a massive amount of money out there from B because they wanted to try and keep everything mm. very affordable. But then, then right. there was this sort of quality issue, fundamentally, because they wanted it affordable. So it's this sort of, mm. it hasn't got to be cheap, but it's got to be good value. And I was trying to get them away from cheap to into value, which is you can mm -hmm. still have a Wagyu steak and a bottle of Petrus um, at good value. It's, mm. you can, it's, it's about a value, a value proposition. So um, I think we managed to do a, uh, a change up and, and we, you know, we changed how the wines were done. Rather than buying bottles at different prices we literally had you know two or three different prices for the bottles uh of wine so there was house there was house plus one and then one other and then if you want to bring your own wine here's the markup really simple so then people mm. could enter into really really good wine at, at, at the same rate pretty much as what um the next one up from house wine would have got us so it was a great place to go and get a really good bottle of wine and then we became known for that sort yeah, of thing it's really so, so that's yeah. that that's where you had to go and do the wins um I mean, of the 12, 15 outlets that were there, I mean, I think we redid most, if not all of them. Uh, it wasn't all my doing. I mean, there was a, I say the GM was pushing, the ops guys were all pushing to, to redo things. Um, mm. And that was the, the beauty of it. Sometimes you get pushed along. I didn't have to lead along so hard. Uh, good experienced team that just needed a, a tweak in the right direction sometimes. Really big events and that sort of thing. So it was a full exposure um, for three years. And, and it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful time. Loved it. Yeah, wow. What did you do after you left there? That's fantastic. Then I, then I eventually, well, I was due to go back and work in London. And the job that I was due to have when I was back in London fell through the day before I was leaving mm. Abu Dhabi. I was like, oh, okay. <sighs> so I was like, oh, crikey, I've got to go back. Um, and at one point, I thought I'd lost all my money in Abu Dhabi as well because I got the, the, the wrong transfer going out. And then I closed my bank account, closed my oh. visa, closed everything else, but managed to get that sorted. But um, got back... Um, uh, got back to the UK and spent a few months um, chilling, a few months, you know, just did a little bit of travel, see your old mates again, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I was in an interview process with Bacardi, which took about five months in end-to-end, -end, actually. Um, wow. But I'm really pleased I hung out for it because I spent eight years there. 
Um, mm. And I basically looked after, I was in a marketing entity, marketing team in, in London, but it was a global, global role, global remit to look after all the hospitality. So a lot of the business centers, oh. a lot of the brand homes, and to go in where there's been no management whatsoever for a long period of time meant there was a nice gap there that I could fill. Mm. Um, they were mm -hmm. costing a lot of money. They weren't really massively organized. Um, all done at a local level, which is brilliant, but not really done um, in, in the right ways. So with a bit of F&B experience and uh, mm. by hook or by crook, uh, I was due to be working for a guy that was going to turn up on the same day as me. We both start to work new department. He didn't turn up, so I took over. It, and it really was that sort of <laughs> I was like, oh shit okay fine thanks very much indeed um and and i i didn't know my um excuse my french but i didn't know my ass my elbow in marketing no idea literally yes. no idea nothing i was gonna say nah. how did you get how did you get that kind of wrong i got it because i was an operator and they were looking for an operator yeah. person to help out saying listen are oh, the operations right here this looks a bit silly right. um yeah and then actually by Probably my personality sticking up and saying, hey, listen, you've got something good here. Um, why don't mm. you make a bit more of it? And then, and, and, and because I kind of ran my own team, my own department, it enabled me to have enough time to do the work and the research to then make myself an expert in the field. And so, mm. I mean, this is sort of 10, 15 years ago now where I mm -hmm. was looking at how brand experiences in marketing can affect people and make them lifelong advocates or lifelong lovers of a brand and keep them purchasing that brand. How can mm -hmm. you get them to do bar call when they walk into a bar and say, I want this drink with this product? Yes. And, yes. and I started to map that a long, long, long time ago in experiences. And then I started to get to the point of going, sorry, just so you know, my experience is 10 times more powerful than your marketing campaign. And it's 10 times cheaper. <laughs> And they sort of, and gradually people start to look up and go, okay, cool, that's, that's interesting. Thanks, mate. And, you know, pat on the head, sit down. And then gradually yes. the, the rest of the world started to sort of pick up on experiential um, and doing more experiences in cities and whatever. But um, I think um, Bacardi did a fantastic job in general of investing in their brand homes in the end. Um, I created a, a new home for Grey Goose in Cognac called Le Logis. Um, well, which I absolutely loved doing. It was very painful to do. It was two years on a 6 a.m. flight out of London down to Bordeaux every, uh, every week or every other week. Um, and that was pretty hard. Um, mm. but, and it was a big, a, big capital, a big capital expense of which I wasn't due to be signing off. But again, by hook or by crook, I got people to sort of press you buttons. Did. So, you yeah. mm. mm -hmm. know. Um, and along the line as well, then we actually created a, um, uh, an experience for Bombay Sapphire as part of a team that actually um, delivered a whole experience of Bombay Sapphire in Hampshire in the UK uh, in a place called Laverstoke. And, and that was another huge challenge, huge challenge uh, on the budget because it doubled over a period of about four years, um, on mm. timing because it doubled mm. over a, bit, a period of about four years. Um, <laughs> but, but also knowing at the other end, we had to try and get 100,000 people through our Bombay Sapphire experience. And that was going to be a huge challenge. Wow. Um, because it's wow. an hour out of London, all that sort of stuff too. But... Um, not through um, specifically my work, but that of the team that, that, that went in and ran that. Um, they hit their targets as we projected, which is lovely. Um, they hit mm. 100,000 people in three years, which is fantastic. And I still know to mm -hmm. this day when people go through that experience and they sort of say, hey, Simon, I went to that Bombay Safra Expo. And I was like, absolutely brilliant. Love this, love that, love this, love that. And I know coming from there what they can tell me about that brand. Uh, by yes. pretty much saying, so, you know, what, what did you do? Which tour did you do? How did that work? 
um, I know they're going to tell me ABC or, you know, DEF or, you know, it's incredible. The, the planning and that messaging going in is absolutely um, rich on the way out. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the, the time at Bacardi, you know, educated me in marketing. I did enough marketing courses with them over the years. Crikey, every, every CMO that comes in says, hey, we're going to do it my way. Um, let's educate everybody. So you go through another marketing course. So that's good. <laughs> and so I got to know brand marketing really, really well. I got to know um, uh, the marketing management or brand management um, really, really well. And over eight years became very much that expert into experiential marketing, really, uh, and how to really make that impact. And that's what actually we... funded or founded, if you'd like, the swipe right experience uh, aspect of our business today. I, I want to get onto that in a in a very short second. I was just going to ask: with such a big brand like Bacardi, you said that you said you were they were disorganised at the start. Were you? Were you surprised with such a big brand that they were disorganized and didn't have all their sort of their ducks in a row, so to speak, no, when you first joined? No, no. I, I, um, when I say disorganized, I mean locally organized, globally disorganized. Mm. So if you, look at, if you look at anything on a local level, it looks about right. When you then sort of mm. layer back up to really what it should be doing, it's off. Um, and it's miles mm. off, and, and that's a communication thing. That's a local politics thing. That's a brand and operator thing. There's, you know, there's a whole lot of different politics that play. There's a whole lot of yes. different uh, operational um, stresses and strains that play into that as well. Um, but in mm-hmm. in general, every site, the management team there, I you know would say was fine. Um, mm. I started adding a management layer. Slow, very slowly because it seemed to be very sensitive whatever we did um, mm-hmm. and gradually get your wins and gradually build the confidence and gradually you get your money from the board to go and do more capital expenditure and uh, gradually you learn how to pitch for stuff uh, to a board and say hi can I have X million please and they say yeah it's a great idea mm-hmm. carry on okay thanks so you, you sort of <laughs> understand that there's some there's a return on investment you understand um, when you're speaking to those board members and what you're up to and how that goes Um I also remember very well from, uh, so Facundo Bacardi, so still family-owned Bacardi, and um, I think it's probably one of its strengths as a business, its, it's family unity, is around um, uh, the, the top guy, Facundo Bacardi. And the current Facundo Bacardi, as we, we, we turned him around and uh, got him out of one building in Lavastoke in Bombay Sapphire, and he turned around and saw these beautiful glass houses coming out the River Test. Um, that mm. were stunningly designed. Thomas Heatherwick Studio designed these glass houses coming out the test, and then they would they would arch, if you'd like, out of the test and then into the distillery building. Um, and they were beautiful, absolutely stunning. And and when, when he walked out, he said, "Simon, why didn't you just tell me it was going to be like this? This is amazing." Then we would have had no problems with the budget and the time and the this and the that. I was like, "Okay, thanks." You know, it's it's a little bit late, <laughs> a little bit late for that now, but I guess that that's a bit of a backhanded compliment for the for the team that has just delivered that. But um, Yes. So, you know, there, there is an element. I wouldn't ever say it's um, disorganized where there was um, naturally there's always some issues. Every operation there's always some issues. Of course. But in general, yeah, what was being driven there was passion. And that's what underpins mm. hospitality. If you can get the passion and the alignment around what they're meant to be delivering, whether that is you know, money wise or message wise or just in the day to day wise, if you can get that passion and that and that requirement lined up together, then you're flying. Um, and, mm. uh, and that's what the job was really get it all get it all lined up together yeah totally good fun so um so as we as we talk to each other on the 9th of april like mm. 
Can you explain to me how the last four to five weeks in the UK has been in the hospitality scene? Um, cataclysmic. There you go. I, I can't think of anything else. It's been a rumble. It's, a good it's been a real. Um, mm. It's been a real rumble. We had um, uh, we had some recruitment. Uh, we got a recruitment on looking at uh, chefs and senior management hospitality that fell off about three and a bit weeks ago. Um, mm. Then our projects. I just got back from Georgia, Tbilisi. Um, mm-hmm. On yeah, the, the, this uh, second week of March, if you like, so nearly a month ago, and they had that first case. Mm-hmm. It was on the paper as I was leaving their very first case of uh, uh, of COVID virus, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Ooh, this is getting more and more serious." So, please, I'm leaving right now. That's okay. Let's get home. And as I was getting home, and as I was running through Istanbul Airport, and as other things are happening, you start to sort of realise that. This is more and more serious, more and more serious, more and more serious, more and more serious. And then, unfortunately, I spend probably the next week, A, taking telephone calls from um, either panicked clients going, really sorry, we can't carry on, uh, helping operators that we, we've either worked with in the past or, or, have, um, or, or just wanted to speak to us and get a bit of advice saying, help, what's the best thing for us to do now? We've got our arms up in the air, we're panicking. Um, mm. or watching mates of mine on social media close their bars and restaurants with the heaviest of hearts and to mm. watch your mate lean up against the bar with a drink in his hand and you can tell he's like I didn't expect my bar to close like this didn't expect my pub to no. close like this and, and it, hit, it hits you emotionally because it hits them emotionally because they're driven as the industry is driven on emotion it's not driven on um uh, much else they're driven on service and the pride and the stuff that comes into hospitality yeah. and it's literally through no fault of their own through nothing to do whatever is is they just had the rug pulled out from underneath them and um they don't know when that's going to reopen they don't know when that's going to go so there's masses of uncertainty there's still a bit of panic out there you know we're still going to get that panic and uncertainty even when we reopen and look to reopen it's always mm. going to be those two mm. constant things it's a case of managing that now and the uk is um either struggling or shut in hospitality. But, mm-hmm. but everything I've seen in the last week, so it's been some really good sort of online conferences. There's been um, some live um, feeds across Facebook. There's been people sort of feeding in. There's been a million people making sourdough, I think. Um, but isn't it, isn't it hilarious coming from a baker's perspective? of mine huh? how everyone thinks they're a baker now it is <laughs> it is both it is both a slap in the face for me and a joyous moment it's it's just what, what, hilarious what like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like because i i thought myself of starting maybe a bakery the last couple of weeks and i'm just like oh no everybody's, everybody's baking, baking. there's gonna be little song. pop-up bakeries everywhere. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. No, don't do that. Just don't do it. It's bloody hard yards, but only a bit having a bakery anyway. Absolutely. Well, listen, I think there are a number of things that people as humans retract to. And you can tell when you look around the supermarkets that there's no dry pasta. There's no eggs. There's no flour. There's no dry pasta. You're doing crikey. You know, we talk about food staples. They're not fruit and veg for a lot of people apparently actually they are no. <laughs> eggs and pasta and flour and and people are going back in time or back into roots into making things that are giving them you know comfort and a sustenance and that sort of stuff which probably yes. generationally is a bit of a bit of a change around so um yeah you look at it yeah. and you go wow that's that's quite incredible um what stories in the past from humans are passed on you know around the campfire um and 
uh, those stories are passed on or those lessons, if you like, are passed on through stories. Um, and what we're finding now is that the very same thing is happening. Um, and those lessons are being passed on stories on social media. It's a, it's just a new medium. Mm. Um, there isn't a campfire uh, as it is right now. It's a screen and that's where people are and they're sharing what they're doing. Yeah, totally agree. I think it, I think it shows that what, what people are buying at the moment, I think it goes to, um, one, their staple products, which probably have some longevity in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, are, you know, were hoarding at the start, which is now sort of started yeah. to stabilize around yeah. the world. Um, I think, but I think there's a part of comfort and a part of nostalgia, which people, you know, nostalgia is always, you know, good, isn't it? Because everything was better before, <laughs> um, not like it is now. Yeah. And I think, you know, having a having a lasagna or something like that, which seems to be the yeah. um, um, the the food at the moment, then uh, I think that it brings people some some form of happiness as they have to, you know, be in their house. Well, it's so, amazing what you just said there about nostalgia. You only ever remember the good bits. Oh, absolutely. And I know, I know there can be really bad bits, but in general, you can you, you, you sort of preface that, oh, my God, do you remember when? Oh, that was dreadful. But actually, that yes. you, you, unless it's been really disastrously, personally, internally traumatic, what actually tends mm. to happen is people remember the good bits. They get rid of the bad bits. That's what humans do as well. You know, they kind of, they, they mm. rose tinted. Um, mm. And, you know, we, we have that through... Um, lots of disasters in the past going, hey, this is what we did in the last disaster, we can do it again. It's like, you're not wishing another disaster, are you? Because that's, you know, just just to get that feeling back, that community feeling back, you want another disaster. No, don't do that. But yes, Mm. we've got to get some more community Mm. feeling back. Um, I think, you know, the community of hospitality in general, I think where hospitality people have have stood up um, and not necessarily in a specific nostalgia way is the people who understand what they do in hospitality have responded. And what I mean by that is that yes, if somebody knows they are part of a community and they've served the community to do something, they then turn around and go, well, hang on, we served the community. This is what we did before. How in our ability, our sphere of influence, can we do the same thing, but different? Because we still need to serve our community. We still need to be the center of, we still need to do that. Um, then that's the people, that's the brands, that's the restaurants or whatever that are flipping things and saying, hey, we'll do the delivery. Hey, we'll send you the, um, the right box of food. Hey, we'll, um, you know, give you the box of food and a few recipes and we'll do the recipes online. Or, you know, that, that's the community piece. Um, the, mm. the community piece that steps up another bit around that nostalgia is the value, I think, the hospitality give when they're starting to step out of the norm. And I mean that by in in the UK, there's a really big and absolutely wonderful, brilliant push, I believe, led by hospitality in supporting our National Health Service, the NHS. Um, The Mm. amount of restaurants either funding, trying to get some money in so they can feed the guys, the amount of restaurants saying, hey, we can do 5,000 meals a week. We're going to get that in, you know, really top quality, good, wholesome meals going to get into our NHS workers. So they don't have to worry mm. about anything else apart from doing the brilliant things they do. And that is the strength in hospitality there. They are the incredible brands out there. They're the ones I think that really, we, you know, we can celebrate in industry that will lead us out the other side as well, um, that we'll need to mm. help out on the other side. Um, there's, a, there's a raft of different brands. And it's not just saying, hey, NHS get free coffee in our coffee shops. Oh, off. You know, that's just, that's just yes. you know, self-promotional. Self yeah self-satisfying yes. brand promotional crap that nobody really wants but if you're going to say hey 
plus there's some money in. I think yeah, it's also a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well. man. You know, that's the other thing. Pe- people knee-jerk, <clears throat> I get it. People knee-jerk reaction. There's lots of things we can knee-jerk mm. reaction to, whether that is plastic mm. bags and everybody knee-jerks reaction to hating plastic bags to... Um, <laughs> uh, when I saw something on... on, on there, was a, uh, uh, there was a head of plastics of a university here in the UK he said, you've got to use a bag for life 40 times before you offset that one 5p plastic bag. I was like, oh, I don't use mine 40 times. So actually, we're in a worse situation rather than better. Damn it, it's just knee-jerk, you know? So as humans, we knee-jerk and hit our head into the wall. But mm. yeah, I, say, I think the people that have been brilliant out there, the ones that haven't necessarily panicked, they said, okay, what do we do? Fine, let's go do that. And let's keep doing that. And then we'll, we'll, we'll align people, get people together and around us, and that's what we're going to go and do. They're the leaders. They're the, they're the ones to always go look at. They're the brands that are, I think will always survive. They're the strong ones out there. Um, and as this process goes through, especially in the UK, what we're seeing now is people starting to click their brain one step forward now, saying, what happens next? And that's not a bad place to be. That's not a bad place to be. No, because uh, uh, if, you're, if you're starting to think what happens next, that means you're starting to think of strategy, which means you have hope. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 hope gets gets people through the worst situations. Yes. So um, collectively together as a community or, or singly. So um, so it's good to hear. So I suppose I suppose with that, Simon, like, where do you think where do you think it's going to leave the hospitality industry in the UK? I know that's a massive question, but like you t- you talk to so many people in in the UK and Europe, obviously, especially like. Where do you think this is going to leave hospitality in 2020? Um, poorer in finances, mm. Um, mm. richer in understanding who they are. I think they are going to be richer in the sense that they'll understand their value, understand their mm. value in the community, understand their value to a, a, a patron. I think the patrons will mm. understand the value of a hospitality offering. Um, mm. You know, you, there, there was something I heard as well recently saying, you know, we've got to stop binge watching everything because the TV companies can't produce enough TV series to come next. You know, um, <laughs> you know if this locks down for a long period of time, we're, all, right? we're, all, we're yeah. all stuck on old versions of it. Like, okay, fair enough. But um, I guess people will then appreciate the TV side of it and the arts and that sort of stuff too. But I think there's a huge appreciation mm. going to be coming for, for example, in the UK pubs. I think um, the community of a pub, I hope that community spirit lasts the community spirit around a pub yes. or a bar, I hope, continues forever. I, personally, I love a pub. I love a great pub. You can find a great pub in the UK. Yeah, likewise. And, and, and mm. you're just at home. The people around you are the right people. The beer's great. The food's wonderful. The, you know, it always feels like the right place to be, no matter what season, no matter what day. And I think part of that is the community feel they play uh, in or the, what they do within the community. And I think that's going to come back quite strongly across all of hospitality. Um, I think people are going to appreciate their jobs in hospitality. Um, I think people could appreciate hospitality workers more. Um, so mm. there is a, I'd like to think that, you know, when and as if we ever see green shoots in 2020, and, and my hope is, um, you know, touch wood and, and would encourage anything to get those green shoots, but not at the, the risk of anybody's health, then I, mm. think, I think hospitality will be a little richer because they've had that introspective time, that time to sort of plan themselves, their brand, 
worked from their values, mm -hmm. which is like the strongest place to be in hospitality is working from values. If you work from your values, yes. then, then people can align to you quickly. Um, and we do a lot of sort of brand value work um, anyway, or brand positioning and brand planning and, and brand creation. But it, it, it plays off values. As soon as you can play off values, people can align to you. And as soon as you get at that alignment, then um, you'll find the people in your tribe, if you'd like, and you'll find them keep coming back. That, that is community, basically. It really is just the community mm -hmm. side. So my hope is that whilst um, I expect some businesses to unfortunately fold, um, I know some people are shut already. Um, I know loads of people are being fired. As in, as in they yeah. won't. As in shot, shut and won't yeah, reopen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, shut and run. You know, I don't know what I'm doing with all of these bills. I may as well just stop and then restart when I'm ready. I'll declare myself bankrupt or mm. no or whatever the thing is right now. You know, wipe my hands of it. Um, and then I can actually spend the time to replan it properly and get going. And we've mm. seen a few people um, just come and start to talk to us now about their brand, about what they want to do and how they want to reopen. Um, and we're seeing a few mm. people say, well, hang on. I have to, you know, change the way I operate. Um, so I've got five sites, but I need to get to 20, but I can't operate them all. How do I do that? So we're starting to talk to people a little bit about how they could either um, franchise their brand out or license their brand out a little bit as well. But that's just started to mm -hmm. trickle in because people are only just getting into that post-panic, post-depression, post-horrible sort of stage. And they're starting to come out on a curve thinking, well, if this reopens in a few months, what would I do? If this reopens in six months or a year, what do I do? They're just getting into that planning stage now. Do you think, just going back a step, do you think something as, using your word, cataclysmic as this needed to happen to an industry like the hospitality industry for its patrons to understand how much a cafe means to them, to, to know how much a pub on a Friday night means to people? You know, like, do you think it had to happen almost at ground zero for people to appreciate it? Um Good question. Um, and that's not one you put in the pre-list of questions. Thanks. No. Uh, <laughs> um, the, yeah. reason I, the reason I asked Simon is, I'm, 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 as I'm sure you would be as you watch social media, like people doing online bingo nights and trivia nights and stuff that would have been done to pub, yeah. you know, and, and uh, when delivery orders go out and, and the staff that are putting on the bags and thank you so much for the support, you don't know how much this means to us with personal notes and shit like this. You know, and just that that person who can't go and see their mate anymore on a on a Friday night and and talk and talk over two pints that actually means that he can have a better relationship with those other people around him at work. You know what I mean? Like you can't have that anymore in the same environment. Maybe it's changed and maybe it will evolve. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think there's there's two. You know, I think there's two sides to that conversation. The first bit is I think mm. people will probably. Um, have enough technology in the next however many months. Um, and they may value deeper personal face-to-face -face connections than they did in the past. And if, if that mm -hmm. is the case and we're socializing and meeting and getting out and seeing your mates, whether that is going to a neighbor and having a, a cup of tea, or that's going to the pub with your mate and having a pint and perhaps doing it a little bit more regularly because you've, you've realized the value of it, which is, hang on, it was taken away from me. I'd now like to exercise my right to do that. Then there's definitely mm. that, that area there. Um, and I think that the second part is, I think we talk, sort of talk about value, about that local coffee shop. So I'm a massive advocate, a massive advocate of great hospitality expanding gently in the right way. 
rather than having a big brand on every street corner. And when yeah, and when totally. you've got, you know, I, I travel not obviously at the moment. I travel upstairs and downstairs. That's about as far as I get, and into the garden. Um, but when I travel globally and I look at a high street and I see the same brands on the high street, it literally kills me. It, I literally sort of like, fuck, hey, come on. It's just it's, boring. It's, it's boring. boring I, you know, mm. it's 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 not really capitalist. It's not. What it, it's just boring. It's boring. Mm. I don't believe it's the best of hospitality. No, I don't believe mm. it's got the best brands or whatever behind it. There is absolutely a place for X burger chain, Y pizza chain, Z um, coffee chain. Fine, there's a place for all those. But but the domination of it in hospitality, I think, needs to be dialed down. And I think some of the young, brilliant brands that are coming out that have got some young um, owners that have got two sites, 20 sites, whatever it is in those sort of uh, region who want to expand, who want to try and get to new cities or new countries or whatever. That's the people that are actually leading hospitality because, again, they, they, they trade on their personal values. They trade on their personal ownership. And just what you were saying about the community needing that coffee shop, the coffee shop needing the community locally, um, my hope is that the local and the local brand come together a little bit closer rather than the local mm. and the international brand come a bit closer. I understand everybody might be mm. missing their Big Mac fried chicken, whatever the thing is they're going to be missing, sure. But I also hope, really, really hope that they're going to get into their local homegrown talent um, and, and realise mm. how much they've missed them and how much they need them and how much they need to support them too. Well, it just, it just breeds hunger amongst owners and it breeds creativity. Oh, yeah. And I think for a long time now, probably arguably the last 20, 25 years, um, probably the whole time I've been in the industry, like the emergence of franchising mm -hmm. has just has just exploded through the late 90s and into the 2000s and has just brought this homogenization of, of food yep. brands to yep. some degree. And it's just become harder and harder for creativity to to come up and really flourish and be heralded. I mean, we, we do see it and that's why we talk about artisan and provador and all those kind of terms. Yeah. But, you know, the, the franchise brands still, you know, um, dominate the market. And that's from speaking with someone who's worked with yeah, many yeah, franchise yeah. brands. Yeah. So it's hard for me, it's hard for me to, you know, to say that kind of stuff, but it is, it's it can't be the longevity in the food industry to keep people. But I think excited. that's what's changing as well now is that you have got younger people mm. saying, "Hey, I can franchise that. I've got a strong enough brand." If they have got a strong enough brand, yes. and franchise it. Go do it. It's a great way to expand your brand. Always have a buyback in your clause that you can go and you know buy any of those restaurants back if you get the right funding later on. But there's absolutely there's, mm. there is an opportunity. So there's two two things here. You talk about creativity. The first bit, creativity. If you've got mm. a young, up-and-coming, fast-paced, fun company, the creativity flows. And that doesn't Absolutely. matter whether it's two sites or 200 sites. The creativity can flow. They may come up mm. with a, um, a takeaway cup for International Women's Day. They can, may come up with whatever mm -hmm. the thing is that they come up with, it can get rolled out really quickly because the connectivity to the center is actually really strong. And the connectivity from end-to-end -end product is also very, very strong as well. There isn't a 2,000-person head office with chains of command and, you know, death by PowerPoint and conference calls and meetings mm. and samples and all this sort of thing. And it takes a year for something to get through. Something 
can get mm. through on a small franchise quickly. And that's its power. That's where I think young companies can uh, come out, franchise, and manage their, manage their hospitality brand. And they're starting to come and do that now. We've seen some really, really interesting brands. We're seeing some really cool people who just say, listen, I've got this really cool thing. I want to expand it. In that case, of how do I do it? We don't have to tell them how to run their brand. They're really running their brand really, really well. But actually, it's giving them the confidence mm. to take the step is you can tell somebody else how to run that brand. In hospitality in itself, you know, flipping a burger, making a coffee, um, you know, putting a, uh, putting a restaurant together. They've got different levels of skill and execution. But if you can pull the brand mm-hmm. piece together, if you can pull that uh, conversation around the brand, still be relevant, still find the right consumer um, and work with a franchisee or a licensee or a, a JV partner who you're relying to and you get it. And, and again, you can work off your values. Then, then there's a lot of strength in that because where, where those big brands fail, I, I believe fail, uh, which is they spend too long to do things. The young brands, the up and coming ones can be agile. They can be different. They can, they can really make a, a big mix and therefore, they can relate to mm, the, the consumer that much quicker and that much more deeply. And uh, that's the way to win, I think, in, in hospitality as well is, you know, kind of take on the big brands a bit. They're big guys. Don't worry. They'll take up with a bit of competition. Get the younger, young up-and-coming brands to come in. Give them, give them a good kick in the right direction um, because I'm mm. absolutely sure that uh, there is some better hospitality out there rather than just um, international franchise chains with 2,000 sites. Totally agree. <laughs> Rant. So, um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about the hospitality portal, um, which is how we're connected, and and talk about the situation that's currently at the moment. Like, how do you think that's going to affect the concepts which you're trying to get up into the portal and get open, um, and investors yeah. as well? And where do you think investments going so to be? So, the portal there is to champion hospitality brands, the really great hospitality brands. Um, we don't work with anybody. We don't work with dickheads. I can't be bothered to work with people that are going to come in and say, hey, I'm looking for funding for my... And they just don't get it. No. You're, mm. you're trying to franchise a brand um, as a pizza concept. Go to a, another franchise company who do cleaning contracts and teaching English and all that sort of stuff. Go to those franchises. Go to, go to the ubiquitous uh, franchise world that, that is feeding yes. itself. Yeah? And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And there is a place for that too. I'm not saying it's not a place for it. I'm just saying it's fine. But it's not what we do. What we're doing is we're taking on the great yeah. hospitality guys and saying, you can do something a little bit different. Now, by doing something mm. a little bit different, and the, the idea of the portal is to have a, a confidential space for people to put their brand out there and be exposed to more projects or more um, potential partners than, than they were yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. What do I see with the portal right now? Of course, nothing's really in theory happening um, when it comes down to the concepts. They're sort of sitting there and saying, well, hang on, nothing. And I'm not going to be, I'm not on the phone to any one of my guys saying, hey, do you want to come part of the portal? No, no. The, thing, the only thing we can do right now is chat to the guys that are in the portal, see what we can do to help, see how we can, you know, help them with their brand, see how we can help them with their sort of close down, give them any advice, give them an ear, you know, get the chaise long out and, and, and listen to the issues too. Um, but the flip mm-hmm. side is what, what we also see is that projects are still going on. Uh, around the world we still see people building hotels and needing concepts to go in hotels we still see um people coming up with great ideas that probably want to do something so as it you know there's me sort of saying we shouldn't do anything we will i'm gonna have to open this back up anyway because there are projects that need brands 
um, and mm. uh, good brands and something new and something interesting with craft, authenticity and provenance. And if any of those, um, uh, if any of those hospitality operators have got those three buckets in any, uh, in any depth, then they'll always do well. Um, and and mm -hmm. projects will continue. Yep, funding may even be a bit quicker now because they may have stopped end of last year or they may not be doing anything at the beginning of this year. So they've got to get out there and go spend that money that, that they've been given by a fund to go and invest in the, in the industry. Um, but mm. but I, I would always say that the time to, you know, there is a time to plan it. Obviously, people are starting to get into that now. Um, the portal is a confidential space. Um, I'm not pushing yet, but we still keep our conversations with everybody around the world. Um, and in the next couple of weeks, if we get enough conversations with people about planning for the future, then we'll, you know, be a bit more proactive uh, and see what we can do to support some people in, in their business as well. That's what it's all about. What would you, another question without notice, if I may, Simon, what, what would you say to a, to a, to a brand out there that has multiple units that is, um, has obviously, you know, decimated their brands at the moment and they're just confused and worried and scared and, what would you what would you say to them as being a strategy to try and just get through this crisis for themselves? So, yes, I mean that's what that's the the conversation we've been having quite a bit. I think that the first thing is that um, it's okay to panic. The first bit, it's okay to panic. It's okay mm. to be upset. It's okay to think you're going to lose your business. It's okay to not know what's going on. It's you know that is the situation. It's okay to do that sort of stuff. Um, it's okay to um, throw your arms up in the air and literally run around in circles for a bit. But once you've done that, it's time to come down and start thinking. It's time to get out of the um, uh, get out of the worry section and get into the thinking section. Um, I always mm. say to people uh, whenever we speak to them, is what can you do now? Fundamentally, what can you do right now? Could you open any one of those sites? Could you and do takeaway? Could you? Um, do you want to do anything right now? There's, you know, you've got to have a want. You've got to have a need. I want and need to go do stuff. Um, and actually, mm. sometimes they just go, no, I don't do anything. I just want to shut. And I just want to cry into my own soup. Okay, cool. Do that. You, you've got to get through mm -hmm. that almost mm -hmm. grieving process. Um, and once you get mm. through that grieving process and you, you, know, you get your anger and your denial and your grieving all the way through those processes, gradually there will be a point of acceptance and gradually there'll be a point of once I'm starting to accept it, I will start to get planning with it. Um, always, you know, batten down the hatches. Go through your budget list by list, point by point, moment by moment, and and see what you can do to um, to get rid of any costs because you don't want to be sitting on any costs wherever possible. Um, there are lots mm. of uh, advisories like us uh, out there. There are some free pro bono advisories, some big CEOs out there as well. That if you want to tap into it, go tap into it. Go and just keep chatting to people. And I think if you keep chatting mm. to people, and if you keep um, if you've batten down your hatches. And you've got to back to square one, if you'd like, you know, you're, you're at the lowest point. The only way is up from there. So then go speak to people, keep Correct. speaking to people, keep speaking to people, keep speaking to people. The creativity will flow. The, the want will come back. The hospitality DNA is always there. Um, yes, you might have to pivot. Yes, you might have to change. But in that, there is some, there's some real value. And, you know, is it a case of replanning your brand? Is it a case of saying, hey, I always wanted to open something that was a bit more vegan? Great, do that now. Put the menu planning in place. Get the design done. Get all that sort of stuff in place, ready to go, because you can do that now, um, whereas you couldn't before. Um, so that 
that use the time wisely, um, but also ensure that you have the downtime because you don't get it in hospitality. You do not get downtime. No. So now you've got the downtime, let yourself have that downtime. And as you've let yourself have that downtime, the creativity will start to open up. Well, and that's what we're seeing. Really, yeah, really good point. So I think, I think the shock has come off to some degree for, for hopefully most parties and it allows them to, to really think about what they want from mm-hmm. their business, which is, um, which yeah, is absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Simon Taylor, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. It's been fantastic to have you on. What's the best way that people can find out about yourself, about uh, the Swipe Right experience and also the hospitality um, portal? Very similarly to probably lots of people, we are on the swiperightexperience.com as a website or the hospitality portal mm-hmm. as a website. Um, we're across mm-hmm. um, uh, areas of uh, social media, of course, like everybody else, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, or as you post this podcast out, I will then virtuously comment about how wonderful it is underneath and then perhaps put some other contact details um <laughs> and i appreciate you sort of letting us wrap it on for however long it's been it's been a it's been good to chat good to catch up um but likewise mm-hmm. i think it's not just about contacting and saying hey you know the swiper experience team are going to want to look for some business we're not looking for business right now what we're looking to do is try and support mm-hmm. a few people right now so if anybody's out there they want to pick up uh um, a Skype call, FaceTime call, WhatsApp call, whatever else it is, as long as they, they're providing their own tea and coffee the other end and they're not expecting me to come over and deliver it, <laughs> then I'm, I'm cool with that. And uh, give us a buzz and, and we'll go from there. Beautiful. I'll put all those contact links to the bio of this podcast as always. Super. Thank you, Simon. No, thank you, man. Really Take care. It. Take good care. so much for tuning in to another episode of the open pantry podcast i hope you really enjoyed it and got something out of it once again please make sure you leave me some feedback through that little link you'll see in the bio of this podcast and as always make sure you please subscribe and share if you think it's valuable to other people with inside the hospitality industry i think they're really going to enjoy it and i hope you enjoy it as well until next time please stay safe